Well, good morning, everyone. And I'm glad each one of you are here because we've gathered for one reason, to worship the Lord. You know why? He's worthy. He's the only one worthy. I do have a few announcements I want to make, though. Um, First, I want to mention that there is a women's Bible study that's been going on uh, every Sunday evening. And what time does it start? Six what? Six fifty? Six fifteen? Six oh five? No, I'm not. Six fifteen. <laughs> but anyway, any of you who um, saw, ever saw the Christian movie is called uh, War Room, and the woman who started that is the one who's leading the Bible study. Not here personally, it's a video study. And uh, my wife tells me it's just great. And so if some of you ladies haven't been to the, you know, the first two and you think, oh, I can't go now. Yes, you can. We encourage you to come and be part of it. And uh, also I want to mention that there is, uh, will be on the 7th of December, cookie exchange. Nikki has it every year at her house. I always encourage my wife to go. And I encourage as many people to go as possible so I have more cookies. But anyway, it's a cookie exchange, and uh, there's a sign-up sheet. If you just sign up, put your name on there so Nikki knows uh, who all is coming. And also, next, this coming Wednesday, we're not going to be having our Wednesday Bible study because, of course, uh, Thanksgiving is Thursday, and so we won't be having our Bible study then. And also, Frank has been kicking around. He mentioned it in the first service, and I think it's a great idea that for New Year's Eve, we gather together and we just jam. We just praise the Lord. We just sing songs of praise to God and maybe bring some, some treats. I'll list the kind I like. And, uh, you know, just to have a nice time together. And so be praying about that as well. And I think that's all the announcements that I really wanted to make right now. So now we're going to be picking up. Uh, in fact, I'm going to be picking up where Frank almost left off. And, uh, and it's uh, in Exodus 15 and verse 20. Exodus 15 and verse 20. And in this portion, we're going to be finding out about the young girl, the sister of Moses, who watched over him. Remember, because of the decree that went out to slay all the male babies, throw them in the Nile River, because the um, Israelites were growing too large for the Egyptians to handle. And because Moses was born, he was so beautiful, his mother actually took a reed and put pitch and tar on it. I mean, took a a little, um, what do they call it? ark and uh, put pitch and tar on it and put baby Moses in it and put it in the reeds by the river where Pharaoh's daughter would come down to bathe. And Moses' sister, if you recall, she stood, it says, afar off and she watched to see what would happen to the baby. And this is the Miriam, Miriam that's being talked about here in this portion of scripture. And so when we read this about her shaking the tambourine and dancing, remember she was probably about 90. And how would you like to be doing that at 90? Boy, I sure would. Hallelujah. You know, praising, praising God. Now, in Ephesians chapter 5, if you want to turn there quickly, and then we're going to be getting back to our portion. See, the thing we have to understand before I read this portion in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians 5, is that we have to realize that our purpose as believers is to worship God. We're supposed to be soul winners. We're supposed to be good examples, but the main purpose of you and I as a believer is to worship God. 
It's not a matter of what we do. It's a matter of what he has done. And we show that appreciation back to him by worshiping him. And as we find in this portion of Scripture and other portions, that oftentimes worship is associated with song, bursting out in song before the Lord. But here's the realization. Number one, you can't worship the Lord until you're born again of the Spirit because we worship in spirit and in truth. And number two, you can't worship the Lord unless you realize all that he's done for you. Understand what I'm saying? If someone did a little thing for you, oh, yeah, thanks, I really appreciate it. But let's say you were down in a pit dying, and that person came down and carried you out, you'd be so thankful because you appreciate all that they've done for you. Well, here's what the Lord did for us. We were dead in sin and transgression. And he reached right down into the mire and the mud of this world and gathered us up and washed us clean by the blood of the Lamb and set us before his throne for the purpose of worshiping him. We are worshipers because he's worth it. So in Ephesians chapter 5, if you want to pick up with verse 18, Ephesians chapter 5, pick up with verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, rowdiness, but be filled with the Spirit. Listen to this. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So we have to understand it's all about worshiping the Lord, making melody in our heart to Him. And... Um, I've been, I have a set of commentaries. It's a, actually a commentary on the uh, whole Old Testament. And it was written by Charles Henry McIntosh. Charles Henry McIntosh lived from 1820 to 1896. So this isn't, you know, something new. And he had a way, and you know, you, you read some of these ancient commentators and you think, I, I wish I had that kind of relationship with the Lord. I wish I had that command of vocabulary to be able to share what this person shares. And he's actually um, writing on, on um, Exodus 15. And I'm just reading one part of it, and there's page after page of Exodus 15. But here's what he says, and he's talking uh, about worship. And he says, How comprehensive is the range of this song in chapter 15? It begins with redemption and ends with glory. It begins with the cross and ends with the kingdom. It is like a beauteous rainbow of which one end dips in the sufferings, and the other in the glory that seems to follow. It is all about Jehovah. It is an outpouring of soul produced by a view of God and his gracious and glorious settings. Man, see, that's what it's all about. And so when we read portions like this, and it seems like, well, what's the big deal? They were singing out in praise and glory to the Lord because they had that kind of relationship with him. So we're picking up in Exodus 15 and verse 20. And I'm starting off with verses 20 and 21. Then Miriam, the prophetess and sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dance. And Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord. Now, he's, she's not necessarily saying, just sing what I'm going to share with you now. She's saying, sing to the Lord, and she's telling them why they should sing to the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider he's thrown into the sea. And so, you and I 
can sing to the Lord because in our lives, he has been victorious. He has been triumph, now, triumphant. He has taken the horse and the riders of our life to try to you know, tear us down and try to destroy us and thrown him into the sea that we might worship him in spirit and truth. Now, we're going to find that this is the first time in the word of God that a woman, Miriam, is mentioned as a prophetess in Scripture. And uh, by this, we find that God not only pours out his Holy Spirit on men, but God also pours out his Holy Spirit on women with no distinction. There's neither male nor female. There's neither free nor slave. We're all Romans or Greeks. We're all one in Christ. And the Lord can pour out his spirit. I mean, one of the, one of the people that I love to go over my message with is my wife. And she's a woman. And even so, <laughs> I, I'm trying to dig my way out of trouble. <laughs> Too late, okay. But even, but even so, every week, Vi has input that she gives me on the portion of Scripture that I'm covering. It's so helpful. Because she's in tune with the Lord, because she's in the Word. She's in the Word of God. Now, and anyway, um, what the Lord is showing them here, that he brought them up out of the land of Egypt. He redeemed them from the house of bondage. And he set before them, and I'm actually reading from a portion of Scripture, and he set before them Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. She's mentioned, along with uh, Moses and Aaron. Miriam is mentioned as being set before them. In Numbers 15, or 12, Numbers uh, 12, 5 through 6, it says this, Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both went forward. Then he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in vision. I speak to him in a dream. So a prophet or prophetess is someone who hears from the Lord. Maybe it's in a dream. Maybe it's in prayer. However it might be. But there's someone who hears from the Lord for what purpose? To share it with the people. And so there are times that the Lord speaks to you. That's something just for you. But there are other times the Lord speaks to you and it's for others. I mean, the Lord is always speaking to my wife about me. And she's always saying, you know, honey, the Lord spoke to me and told me this is what you should do. The cupboard needs fixing. No, I'm just joking. But the point I'm getting at is that is the purpose of a prophet, is to hear from... You know, and a lot of people don't realize that one of the primary responsibilities of a pastor is not that we're prophets, we're not, but to do the work of a prophet in the sense of taking the word of God and presenting it to the people in such a way that they understand it and can apply it to their lives. Because this, this word is awesome. The word of God is amazing. It's also interesting that in 1 Samuel, if you, wanna, if you take notes, you want to write this down, in 1 Samuel 10.5 and in 1 Chronicles 25.1, you find that prophecy and song are closely related. Isn't that amazing? Because when we think of, of praise and worship, we think of singing. 
But also we have to understand that even in our own personal worship, oftentimes it will spring up in song. Have you ever been worshiping the Lord all by yourself and maybe you're praying or you're reading the Word and all of a sudden you just break out in song? You know, about the only time that I can sing without having anyone say anything is when I'm all alone. And uh, my son and my wife come up here and they lead worship. And my son has a beautiful voice. My wife has a beautiful voice. And they can play instruments. I have nothing. I don't have a beautiful voice. I can't keep tune. My son tells me he doesn't even want me clapping. Because I'm going like this and everybody else is going like that. And I'm always, always behind trying to... But in my heart, I do sing melodies unto the Lord. Because here's the thing. I love Jesus. And I know what he's done. He's taken a wretch like me. And he's saved me. I don't deserve it. I still don't deserve it. But he saved me because of his great love. You know, and then in Revelation 15, if you want to turn there, in Revelation 15, we're going to be picking up in verse 2, and then we'll be getting back to Exodus. But Revelation 15, 2, we're talking about song. We're talking about worshiping and singing before the Lord. Now, in this portion... The rapture has already occur, occurred way earlier in the book of Revelation. Now, at this point, you have the redeemed saints, those who suffered and died during the tribulation period, and they've been taken up before the, the throne of, of the Lamb. You know, they literally, Scripture tells us, they were beheaded for their faith because they wouldn't uh, turn their backs on the Lord. In Revelation 15, go to verse 2, And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, the Antichrist, over his image, remember they made an image, and over his mark, that was supposed to be in hand and forehead, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. Listen to this. They sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. So we have to understand, even in those times when we are either raptured, or in this case they're raptured, the, the, you know, the tribulation saints are raptured and they stand before the throne, our natural instinct is to worship him, him in song and to praise his name. The 24 elders and the four living creatures, what do they do before the throne of God? They praise him, they cast their crowns before him, and they just praise him and they sing to the Lord. Now, I'm not saying, you know, that everywhere you go, la, 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 you know, you should be singing. But what I'm saying, in your heart, there should be a song to the Lord. Because life is difficult, and we'll be getting into that in a moment. Life is difficult. Problems come our way. It seems like so often we just go off of a high with the Lord and all of a sudden we're in a deep valley. And we'll be going to be talking about that in just a moment. And um, consider what Miriam had to say. She said, sing to the Lord, listen, for he has triumphed gloriously. He didn't just triumph, he triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. And like Frank mentioned uh, in the first service, you know, sometimes we all have our horse and riders chasing us into the sea. All the problems, all the difficulties of this life just chasing us into the sea. But understand this, the Lord will be victorious on our behalf, and the horse and the rider will fall into the sea. Now we're picking up with verse 22 of Exodus 15. 
So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Sur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now understand, basically three days is about all you can go without water, without running into you know, total dehydration and possibly dying. So it's interesting, it says, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now, when they came to Mara, they could not drink the water of Mara, for they were bitter. In fact, the very word Mara means bitter. Therefore, the name uh, of it was called Mara. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. And he said, if you, listen to this, verse 26, he said, if you uh, diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases of which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. The Lord still heals. He heals physically. He heals emotionally. He heals spiritually. He heals in relationships. He is a God of redemption and healing. That is his very nature. Verse 27. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 uh, wells of water and 70 palm trees. So they camped there by the waters. And Elam uh, is actually plural for palms, is, is what it means. Now... The waters of Mara, which means bitter, are contrasted in this portion with the springs of Elam. And so we have to understand, even though at first we might go through a time of bitterness, the Lord is going to bring us to a time of sweetness if we just trust him. If we just trust him. You know, um, Mara stood, in, in, in this portion as we're reading it, for an unbelieving, grumbling attitude, not trusting the Lord, where Elam speaks of grace and mercy because of our faithfulness to the Lord. So we have to understand that difficulties will come our way. You know, one of the things that's so frustrating to me is when you hear people give their Christian testimony and they say, well, you know, before I was saved, I was unhappy. I had every problem in the world. But then after I got saved, praise God, I've never been unhappy again and all my problems are gone. And I want to stand up and say, you're not being honest. In fact, you're a liar. <laughs> because the reality is, as long as we are walking this terrestrial ball in the flesh, we are going to find problems and difficulties coming our way. But the reality, he's given us the promise of what? Victory over our difficulties. You know, joy comes in the morning. You might have tears at night, but joy comes in the morning. And how often have we seen that happen? You know... I don't know about you, but how many times have you grumbled only to be embarrassed by how God so graciously provided? Oh, God, how could you let this happen? What's the answer to this? Oh, Lord, I feel, oh, this is awful. Then the next day the Lord just clears everything up and he brings blessing on you and you think, oh, what an idiot I am, which is probably the one true thing we say. But, Oh, Lord, what an idiot I am. I can't believe I didn't trust in you. Because understand, it's all about faith. Faith is most often tested in difficult times, not when everything's going great. 
You know, oh, I'm just praising God. Everything's great. I just got a new job. I'm making a million dollars a year. My wife and I are happier than we've ever been. And I da 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 da. Oh, I, might, I just love the grace of God. No, the grace of God is, man, things are going hard. Things are terrible. But I trust the Lord. I praise God. And then through our difficulty, he brings praise. You know, not to get too personal, but most of you know this, but in, on uh, June 22nd, I'll never forget the day, I had a heart attack. Had no idea there was anything wrong with me. I've never had high cholesterol. I was to the doctor that day. My, my EKG was normal, but they decided to do a cardiac enzyme test. Anyway, I was in the midst of a heart attack. Sent me right to the hospital. I had two stents put in. I had two blocked coronary arteries and this and that. So, what's the point he's getting to? The point I'm getting to is that was difficult. That was hard. It was scary. But I trusted the Lord. Whether my life was spared or whether I died, I was trusting the Lord. I knew I belonged to him. I knew the word of God told me to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. For me to live was Christ, but if I died, it was gain. That's what the word of God tells me. And then God, in his mercy, he changed things all around. It ended up that I had no damage to my heart. And they sent me to this, um, it's called cardiac rehab, and where they wire you all up and you go through, you know, a whole aerobic program. I got to the point at the end where I was doing 40 minutes of pretty intense aerobic exercise. And um, I feel better than I have in years. I was probably dealing with that for a long time. Here's the point I'm getting at. What seemed like one of the lowest times of my life, one of the most difficult times I was going through, ended up bringing me to one of the best places in my life. You follow what I'm saying? And so understand that sometimes those down places can bring you up. Now, unless you're my age, maybe some of you younger people, remember the balsa wood airplanes we used to get, those of you that are my age? Remember you put the wing on it and the top and this and that? And one of the ways you could get it to fly really make all kinds of cool loops is you threw it at the ground. Remember that? You held it back and you go, wham! And it wouldn't hit the ground. It would pick you off draft and it would do all kinds of you know, crazy stunts. And the reality is true in our lives. Sometimes when we seem to be taking the greatest nosedive, the Lord's going to pull us up out and give us the greatest victories and the greatest joys maybe that we've experienced in a long, long time. When God tests us, Understand this, just like he was testing the children of Israel. When God tests us, it's not so he knows where we are. He knows. He knows everything. He knows the very end from the very beginning. He's God. So you have to realize he's never testing us so he can see how we are. You know why God tests us? So that we know where we are. Well, I'm just doing great with God. I'll tell you what, I don't think there's anyone who's a stronger Christian in the world than me. I'm probably the most wonderful person I know. And then all of a sudden, difficulty comes your way. (laughs) Oh, God, where are you? And so the Lord oftentimes will use these things in our life in order for us to recognize our need for him. Here's the one thing I know. I need my Lord Jesus Christ every bit as much today as the day I got saved. You know why? I need his grace and mercy. I mean, it'd be wonderful to say, well, you know, on March 5th, 10 years ago, I came to a place where I just stopped sinning. I just never sin anymore. Not like you heathens. 
you know, I just never sin anymore. That would be a lie. Because the first thing I think of when I get up in the morning, and don't be judgmental because you do the same thing. The first thing I think of when I get up in the morning is me. Right? I don't wake up in the morning and say, well, I wonder how the world's doing. I wonder if my wife's having a good day. And stuff. I get up in the morning. Well, some of you young people might not understand this. But I get up in the morning, I get out of bed, and it's like, Ugh! And it takes you five minutes to finally get upright, and then you feel pretty good. But, you know, the first thing I think of is me. All of us. What's the first thing we do? We run in the bathroom, we've got to brush our teeth, we've got to wash our hair and face and all this kind of stuff. But the reality is our heart needs to be for God and for God alone. He alone is able to give us everything that we need in order for our faith to grow. And our faith often grows through testing. Think about this. Would you rather drink from a moving stream or a stagnant pond? A moving stream, obviously. And so we have to realize that sometimes the Lord just keeps us moving. We have struggles and victories, struggles and victories. You know, any of you who are married... My wife and I have been married 47 years. Am I getting that right? I always have it off. It'll be 48 coming up uh, in February 6th. See, I know. Yep, February 6th. And, um, but anyway, we've been married a long time. And anyone who's been married for any length of time, maybe three days, but anyone who's been married for any length of time, you have recognized that, remember the fairy tale books you would read to your children? the fairy tales, and then at the end it would say, they got married and lived happily ever after. The reality is that's a fairy tale. The reality is they got married and they had to work through a whole lot of stuff. But you work through it. But you work through it with the help and the grace and mercy of God, and not only do you have victory, but it's in the struggles that you draw closer together. That's the thing we have to understand. You know, when the children of Israel crossed over the Red Sea, they found themselves experiencing freedom. Freedom is not always easy to handle. Freedom can be very difficult. I've had an opportunity at different times over the years to meet with someone who had just gotten out of prison. And do you understand that sometimes their freedom is very difficult for them? They had such an organized life. They were told when they get up. They were told where they went to work. They were told when they ate lunch. They told where they went here. They told when they went there. And everything was done for them. And then they get out of prison. They've got this freedom. They don't know what to do. And you have to encourage and help them through it. So the point I'm getting at, with freedom comes responsibility. He whom the Son has set free is free indeed. So we're free. But that brings responsibility. And this responsibility, this freedom, requires us at times to come to the bitter water of Mara, of Mara before we go to the sweet water of Elam. And one of the things that I find interesting is how quickly the people turned against Moses. Understand, they just crossed through the Red Sea. And it is estimated that the military of the Egyptians that was chasing them through the Red Sea was somewhere around 265,000. Think about that. They figure there were around 50 or 60,000 men on horses. Then you had the 40,000 chariots and then the men on foot. They figure there's somewhere that number. Because you have to remember the number of the children of Israel was around 2 million. 
I love the Ten Commandments, but the 300 people you see in the Ten Commandments doesn't quite come to the number of somewhere around 2 million people. So you had this huge army chasing the Israelites, and the Israelites go through in dry ground, it tells us, and then the army of the Egyptians come through and the water closes in on them. And here they have their greatest enemies destroyed, and they're free. They've made it through. God had preserved their lives. And three days later, they're complaining and moaning. I mean, isn't that an indictment on us sometimes? God, what a great day this is. This is the best day of my life. Thank you, Jesus. Then the next day, oh, I can't believe it. And we get so up and down. But realize that this is part of the growing process. You will get to a place where even in your difficulties, you'll trust and praise the Lord because he is worthy of all of our praise. Now, I don't believe when Moses cried out to the Lord, it's because he was angry. I think he's crying out to the Lord, what do you want me to do? Here you, know, here you have this mob of two million people saying, we don't have any water, you know, and they're angry. What do you want me to do, Lord? I think that's what he cried out. And the Lord told him to take this tree and throw it in the water, and the water became sweet. Do you realize how simple the cure was? Throw a tree in the water, how simple the cure was? And I'm sharing that for you to understand, I don't care how difficult the, the, whatever it is you're going through, whatever, how difficult your life is, the cure is that simple. You might not see it right now. You might not see it right away. But the cure is that simple because it is God that gives the instruction how to have the cure. Throw that tree into the water. Now, in verse 26, it says, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I brought on the Egyptians. So the Lord is making it very clear. We have to heed his voice. You know, we have to give ear to his commandments. Because none of the things that we find in the Bible are for our detriment. Everything's for our good. Well, I became a Christian and there's all these things I can't do anymore. No, you became a Christian. Now there's all these things by the Holy Spirit you don't want to do anymore. And that's giving you a more victorious life and a happier life. You know... You know, when I first got saved and before I got saved, and you've heard me share this testimony before, I was what is called a respectable drunk. I taught school all week, didn't drink once. Friday, I'd come home from school and I'd drink until I went back Monday morning. I'd be drunk the whole weekend. And there was never a time when I was in that addiction to alcohol that I said, oh, this is great. I'd like... Every Monday, I swore that I'd never drink again. Why? Because I knew it wasn't great. And so we have to understand that when we come into these despairs of life, God will give us the victory, as he did me. You know, he simply said to me, don't drink anymore. Was it easy? Nope. It was hard. But I haven't had a drink of alcohol in 40 years. Because God is good. And so whatever the difficulty is you're going through in your life, God can give you the victory. And just because you have one victory doesn't mean you're not going to have another. 
you know, struggle that you go through. That is life. Have any of you um, ever seen The Princess Bride? <laughs> it's an iconic, you know. Um, and um, remember what Wesley said to um, Princess Buttercup? Life is pain, Highness. And that's the way life is. There's a lot of pain in life, but as a believer, there's a lot of joy. There's never a day that I wake up and I can't but praise God for what he's given me, for the life he's given me, for everything that I have. Doesn't mean that I'm having a good day. Doesn't mean I'm not having pain and and difficulties, but I'm praising God. And every one of us should have that attitude because there's a blessing for obedience and discipline for disobedience. And the thing is, it all relates to faith. Because God has given you a promise. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. So whatever you're going through, if you have faith, he's there. Believe it. And then the last verse, then they came to Elam, and, uh, where, there were, uh, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. So they camped there by the waters. And God will always lead us into peace. He'll always lead us as we follow him into just a a tranquil heart and mind in our relationship with him. And here's the greatest thing. In the end, we have eternal life. Isn't that awesome? It's not, well, in the end, they finally lose. Have you ever watched movies? I mean, we watch, I I like some some kind of scary movies sometimes, but I, I hate movies with bad endings. I actually ask my, my children, I say, does that have a good ending? And if they say, no, it has a bad ending, I don't watch it. But we were alone. I didn't have any grandkids to watch. And Vi and I, we liked scary movies. No, nothing really graphic or anything like that. It was called The Mounds or something like that. It was Indian Mounds they, they had out in their backyard. We said, this looks like a good movie. We watched it. Everybody died. Every single one, even the kids, they all died. I hated the movie. But the reality is, as believers, we all live. We all live eternally. And that's one of the reasons that as believers we celebrate what's called communion, the Lord's table. Because it's so wonderful that God gave us two commandments. And some people have asked me, well, what is a command? What is a, I'm sorry, sacraments. God gave us two sacraments. And some people have asked me, what is a sacrament? A sacrament is something that Jesus commanded that we continually participate in, and what else? That he also participated in. Jesus commanded us, as often as we come together, as often as we drink this cup and eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. And Jesus participated in that. And remember, Jesus said, go out and make disciples of all nations, what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was also baptized. Remember? John said, no, I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus said, no, for all propriety's sake, you baptize me. So it's something he participated in and commanded. Now, baptism is something that we do once. According to Romans 6, it's a demonstration that I've died to my old nature and I've been raised to life in Christ. That's it. But... In Corinthians, it makes it clear, the Lord's table is something that we do on a regular basis. And it's in remembrance of him. Of what? Jesus Christ, through the miracle of the incarnation, came to earth for one reason. For love. For God so 
loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's why he came, for love's sake. And so when we take you know, part in this communion, we realize I'm free. I've been set free by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus Christ died for my sin. I now belong to him, but it's also something else. What did Jesus say? He said, he's going to go and prepare a place for us. That where he is, we'll be with him also. Heaven. So we remember that. We remember our sins have been forgiven, and I'm going to heaven. I mean, if you're going to put communion in very simple terms, that's what it means. And so Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed... And um, it was unleavened bread. It was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is a seven-day period during Passover, 10-day. And he took the unleavened bread, which would be just like this, and he broke it in front of his disciples. And the reason he did that, he said, my body's going to be broken for you. And then he took the cup, and he said, this represents my blood. My blood's going to be poured out for you. And he gave it to his disciples, and they shared in it together. And that's what we do. So if I could have my ushers come forward, we'll pass the elements out. There's no longer any condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. Though your sin be a scarlet, he'll make you as white as snow. Jesus Christ loves you. And the very reason that we have redemption and the promise of eternal life is because of his sacrifice. He came to earth out of love. And when we participate in this communion, it is simply expressing our love and worship back to him in thankfulness. Understand, if it wasn't for the cross, there'd be no heaven. No heaven for any of us. So therefore, my brothers and sisters, take and eat and drink and be so thankful to your Lord. Father, we thank you for this sacrament. We thank you for the promise of eternal life and the joy that we have in you. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless this sacrament to our spirit and heart's understanding. And we give you thanks for all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, my friends.